Welcome to the one within all to another episode of Interverse. I'm your host, Chance, and I hope your world is as beautiful as mine right now. For many exciting reasons, and presently chief among them is today's show, because it happens to be all about our worldview and how to reframe the many ideas that have been historically used to cosmologically confuse our senses and befuddle our belief systems. Information-based worldview warfare may be the oldest form of divide and conquer in the tyrant's textbook, but although it's not a new game, the fire hose of information overload that we experience in the modern era of the mass media, mafia, black magic, has all but perfected the insidious divisions between every democratic and demon-addled demographic. So... All is not lost, my friends, because when we take the time to look within, dive deep in the well of what is authentically present in our fields and feel for the way forward from there, we take back our attacked attention spans one breath at a time and find the holistic perspectives that harmonize, syncretize, and recognize the hollow fractal world and our all-important job as the one life that is a pure expression of source energy. And our guest today, Lucas King, has got just the Renaissance man uh, lifestyle for the job of showing us the way to healthily integrate all the vast streams of ancient knowledge that have opened up for humanity in the last few years. As a man who is personally doing just about all the things necessary for humanity on a whole to learn in order to break the self-inflicted shackles of responsibility shirked, Lucas sets the tone for wholeness. And he is a farmer, father, homesteader, researcher, electric universe teacher, epic musician, and probably a lot of other amazing skill sets in there. He's an outstanding role model indeed, and you can find him at LC King on YouTube, which is one word with no spaces, or on his Telegram channel where his profound updates and insights are regularly shared. I'll make sure to link both of those in the show notes for this episode. You can also find him on a few recent episodes of Vibrant, the live stream we do on Wednesday nights on my channel. He was episode 23 with Ben Balderson and 26 with Slick Dissident and Mario Garza. Today, I believe he's got some new ideas to present to us, and I'm super excited to get into it. So let's welcome the rectifier of mythos and syncretizer of life's expressions, the great Lucas King. Welcome to Interverse, man. Honored to have you. <laughs> Thank you. That's uh, quite an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get back and get right in the I, get a little over I, I don't usually that. see myself in, in, in that light. I'm more like just a, a, you know, just a dude trying to figure out stuff, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, but man, I, I'm not kidding. I tell people all the time, that's the dude to watch because you're not just thinking about the stuff and taking in content or creating content. You're doing stuff in the real world. And that's where the rubber meets the road, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that's where I sort of began. It was more about, you know, how do I um, look after myself, my family and and work my way out of the system. So that's where all this began really in a sense. Um, and then, you know, me being attracted to that sort of, uh, con those sort of concepts of being, you know, it, it's like a type of freedom, I guess that you're attracted to freedom and, and knowledge and information that sort of helps build yourself up. So, yeah, that's where right. most of this sort of stuff began. And then, you know, sort of things, insights and little, um, correlations just started to appear and it starts to build on itself and you and after a while you start to um, recognize similarities between things and that's um yeah that's really 
what what matters i think building building that sort of holistic view and being independent and all those sort of things but it never ends it's not like there's a finish point to it you know i like what you said there it makes me think of how really all aspects of life are far more similar than they ever are different but we've been trained into the mindset of always accentuating and looking for the differences not that there's no use in that but that it brings us to this super divided and uh, overwhelmed world we're in right now but i you know since we do have you here and this is just me and you instead of like a, a bunch of weavers in one shot maybe we could talk a little bit more about your life up to the point that you are here with us now anything you'd like to share that's profound about that journey to starting to see the connections between everything and how that you could apply that to bring your life into a, you know, closer to knowing the source of all parts of your life. Well, you know, it really started when I was um, oh, studying conservation and land management. And then within that, I had a fair bit of time to just um, start to reflect on what I've been taught and things. And I was in my early twenties then. And, um, you know, I came across a book, um, called, um, Seth speaks and that's like a Jane Roberts book, um, where she was, um, talking for this out body entity type thing, but it was a very interesting book. And one of the main themes in it was, um, you know, you create your own reality and how, how you actually create your own reality. And so that was a really sort of, um, sort of life-changing perspective ever since before that time it was like you know why are these things happening happening to me and so it was very sort of um in a sense a victim mentality but then you reverse that and have this you create your own reality then there's a, a responsibility that comes with that sort of idea where you're um basically not reacting to the events you're saying well you know why did that occur there's a there's a um a reflection going on between your life and your inner world in a sense and so from there then i started actually i think really starting to grow and learn properly um and not taking not being that victim sort of um person in a sense and then after that so it was it was really as as time progressed um you know events happened and whatnot but um i really started to get into um a different sort of understanding of the world that was was um just off off centered to what they normally teach you and then i really got into kinesiology and that was a really big um turning point again and that was in my sort of late 20s and um, that was where I started to learn about the body and how intelligent the body is and um, getting into these um, healing modalities. And it's a really separate sort of thing from what, what they tell us healing is today, where it's, this was a holistic approach where you're dealing with um, the emotional body, the mental body and, and, <clears throat> and how they all interlink. And so that was just a very nice holistic view. And then basically I've taken those concepts and then started to, or that mind frame in a sense, and then started to apply it to the world. So that's, that's, you know, 
my progression in a nutshell of that side of things or the, the mental side of things. Man, that's great. I'm glad I asked because I totally align with everything you're saying. And it can be, it can be kind of a spiral path where we remember the real power that we have through the way that we look at the world to, and the way that we accept who we are and allow change to occur as it naturally wants to occur towards actually what feels better. The irony of it is it feels better to shed the things that we do because we're wounded and think that they will help us feel better, but actually just distract us from our true power. It feels better to be in power, be in that wholeness. And you said a lot of really good stuff there, but I wanted to maybe hone in on the kinesiology because it's something I would like to study more. I understand that there's works out there like power versus force, a book that uh, looks at these type of reflexology um, studies that can basically hook, create some type of sensory apparatus to communicate with the body or cause a reaction in the body. And this is very based in the electricity in our, in our physical body that you can ask the body questions. If you have the feedback framework to, to get an answer clearly, and the body just knows a lot of stuff that you would never expect, have expected it to be intelligent about like really far out stuff. Is, is that all accurate? Yeah, that's all accurate. Like, um, it does, it really does. Um, it knows way more than what you what you think it does, and um, basically the kinesiology I was learning <clears throat> was where you would um, you would do a muscle test, and you'd have to set up the muscle test first to make sure it wasn't switching or it was giving you accurate feedback, and then you would be. It, it's just basically like an on-off switch, so you can test a stress or a strength. And so when you test certain points on the body or you ask certain questions or um, <clears throat> go around a chart and then find a certain emotion, that'll give you an indication of a bunch of different information that you can derive. Uh, then, then you go through a process of asking, asking questions at the same time as you're working on certain points in the body. So... Um, yeah, you could test certain muscles, um, certain meridians, um, whatever. There's, there's there's tons of integration that you can do with it. And so that's what it was all about. Um, and using your hand as basically a um, mechanism for finding data as well. And I found that really, really interesting. So being able to basically um, muscle test and then work your way along your second hand um, here while you're muscle testing and then find um, relationships to the data that you've already got or the balances that you have. And so there was multiple things that could be done with it. Um, you could do sound balances. You could do, um, yeah, just, just so much stuff that sort of integrates and ties into just a simple on-off switch, you know, and understanding that you can communicate with the body in that sort of mechanism. So... Um, just, just something that was, is I think really, really um, important to where we go ahead in, if you know, with our world basically to, um, you know, uh, increase our understanding of health and all those sort of things. Which, you know, as you've seen in our world now, it's um, completely reversed. 
and it's not dealing with mental or spiritual or emotional sort of ties to sickness and all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah. Yeah, man, you're absolutely right about all that. That's why I'm into the sound healing modality that I do with clients. It's actually not that different than kinesiology in a sense, or at least muscle testing or reflex testing the way I use dowsing rods, just simple copper L-shaped rods with wooden beads. And even though I'm with someone remotely, uh, the bodies are connected through this etheric aspect. And we can we can do all kinds of stuff with technology that's way simpler than what most people would expect to be effective. And I think that's part of our kind of downfall right now that we think that technology for it to be worthwhile needs to be like flashy, expensive, so complicated in terms of how it functions that you need all kinds of technicians and specialists to even have a hope of putting one together or you know, Joe Rogan used to say, if I dropped you off on a desert island, how long till you can send me an email? <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Um, there was, there's another interesting thing with the kinesiology I was learning, and this is like um, sort of a testament to the power of the body, but you can actually use a surrogate to, to balance someone else at a distance. So, you know, basically um, the way I did uh, one balance, I was, I, I, um, had my wife on the table and then she was surrogating for her cousin and she wasn't there. And so I basically set it up so I could test for her cousin. And so you could, you could actually do a balance and then, and then we'll be like, I sent her a message later on, like, you know, how do you feel? Do you feel any different? Um, she didn't, she didn't know. And so she's like, Oh yeah, I just feel yeah way better for some reason, you know? And it's, it's just one of those things that this is like, there's so much we don't really know in a sense of um, the capacity of where these things can take us in a way. That's amazing. That does sound a lot like remote sound healing for me too. It's just, I use crystals and candles as the surrogate, but it's yeah, all yeah. on a laid out on a massage table. And I holographically at least once really intentionally visualize the person that I'm working with being a, the one on the table and we make like verbal agreements and contracts that our bodies are here and they're party to before the process starts. And yeah, that, the, um, I'm kind of curious now about the, the balancing aspect of kinesiology or what it was that you were doing because a lot of different forms of subtle or energy medicine therapy are sort of like just different approaches to the same thing, which is at least I expect that what you're up to at the root of it is balancing, bringing off balance charge back to balance in the different energy centers or spheres or toroidal field layers of the body. Yeah, hundred percent. So basically what you were doing, we're looking for centers that say, if you're doing the meridian system, you will look for um, centers that were overcharged, which means that there was a blockage somewhere that where that was sort of building up. And then you could look for others that were undercharged. And so you could do this, um, you know, chart, basically release the energy in one side if it's overcharged and then build up that energy in the other side. And what was interesting, I started sort of making my own little charts or cycles and they were based off the Zodiac and 
um, sort of integrating that Chinese meridian system and the zodiac because they're very, very similar and they even have times. And, and so there is um, definitely more work that needs to be done there. But um, essentially, the zodiac and the Chinese meridian system are the same thing. But um, yeah, so you could just start doing a chart and basically find that there was a, a place where there was a blockage and over energy. <clears throat> and you would basically unblock that section and it would follow through and and then you would see that the whole of the body would start to just um release and it's a little bit like um having a muscle in your back or something like that and then releasing it and then all of a sudden all the rest of the all the rest of these muscles start releasing and you, you get the energy flow back in and you start to move and um so it's it's very similar to that so you you're basically turning the power back on and um, you're looking at the meridian system as like power lines through the body. And that's how I view them. Um, so if you're not getting the current and um, those sort of things flowing through, then you haven't got the energy there to, um, you know, and they make associations with, say, the liver and the heart and all these sort of things, which is basically um, the same thing. You, you've got power lines running through and you you're switching them back on and giving the energy to those systems that they need. So it's a really, really fascinating um, setup, and it's a pretty amazing um, system that the Chinese uh, developed there. Yeah, absolutely. I just got some nice posters for the space where I use for the sound healing sessions I do that are one that's just like the five Chinese elements for Chinese medicine. And all the associations and like a nice graphic and columns found on someone's Etsy. And then the other one is just like a, a meridian chart that also has different charts around this one big poster. And I confess, like I have never had any formal training, nor have I read extensively about the systems. My experience with it comes primarily from a Qigong practice. But that, that is sort of experiential, at least of the basic um, major and some more metaphysical meridians that we've got, but there's a, as many different ways of conceiving it <laughs> as you could probably shake a stick at. But uh, I find, find what you were saying to be really apt. Like actually there, it's surprising, I think, until you start to look into this and experiment for yourself, how much energy, mental energy really comprises a client, like the, a quick anecdote, a client I had today when I was using the dowsing rods and I just go with the seven chakras and I apply the meridian idea. If there's a specific, like complaint about a one, one finger hurts or a certain part of the body hurts. I look at what that line runs through and that gives me some other context sometimes, but that's what the posters are for. But a lot of times you just can do, you can work with just the seven basic chakras and that type of an anatomy. If you have, you know, enough of the layout understood, which I've, I have to always praise Eileen Day McCusick's research for leading me to the biofield anatomy as applied in sound. And I'm maybe rambling on a little bit, but what I ran into today with a client was a root chakra that did not even register measurement. Like <laughs> I couldn't find it. It was off. And a third eye chakra that was so overcharged that it was about 50% bigger than the rest of the chakras would normally be in terms of about six feet off your body. And yeah, what right. this translated wow. to was somebody who 
knew had like all this knowledge that was not being applied into taking action with the knowledge. So it was like this yeah. bottleneck and was leading her to a uh, sore neck because the energy couldn't go past that point. And like she could speak about it, but she couldn't act on it. So it wasn't going further down. And also she was developing like cluster migraines from this, I found out. And all that is reflected in just the simple act of waving some dowsing rods and finding that the third eye chakra is way overblown. Anyway, that's a long mouthful. I see that you've got some screen share ready for us to dive into. But I love this uh, energy healing topic and that more people should explore because we can do a lot for ourselves. With The knowledge is a huge scaffold to climb, but it takes us to good place. Well, well I was just going to bring this up. I'll, I'll put it full screen for you there. Um, and I was just going to say that, you know, you have the five elements with the Chinese um, meridian system, which is sort of um, one view of things. But there's also the the four element system, which um, and, and this basically, I was going to bring it back to the battery. It basically relates to the battery um, as far as I can tell. So, you know, you have the earth, which is earth, and then you have the electrolyte, which is the salt waters. And then you have the anode, which would be your negative polarity and the um, cathode, which would be the pos positive polarity. And you can just see earth, water, uh, air and fire. So uh, the same thing that oxygen produced at the anode, um, hydrogen produced at the cathode. And so there is a, um, correlation between the battery or energy movement and um, our bodies. So I just thought I'd bring that up as because it, it does relate to the energy work for sure. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. Uh, that's such innovative work. People should check out LC King's YouTube for the uh, electric, flat electric universe, galvanic battery cell model in detail. You've made a a great sketch at one point to demonstrate all the different constituent parts of a battery being present in our realm and in the right balance to create this type of charge effect. Uh, if you guys are just listening to the RSS feed of this episode, we will probably have more screen shares in this and you can check out the video by following the links in the show notes or just going to my YouTube or my Rockfin or Odyssey, many different places. We'll do our best to also describe what we're looking at and make it a good audio show too. But, you know, we also got video. We're pretty good looking guys. Get over here. We'll uh, make your eyes feel much better <laughs> with all the awesome graphics he's got prepared. So do we want to go further down the, the train track of electric universe and the battery model? This is something that we've, explored with Benjamin Balderson, and I know you guys do a lot of work together. Is there anything particularly uh, interesting or new of note or that maybe you differ with him on since um, <laughs> I know you guys give each other a lot of, a lot of uh, flack and a hard time for fun, especially Ben to you because he's jealous of your hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's, there's not too much new. Um, I'm, I'm sort of been moving away from it a bit. Um, just research has taken me somewhere else. And um, if you stay on one thing too long, I find I get uh, just a bit stagnant and it just becomes, um, you know, I, I like moving around and, and just going where the energy is for myself, where the research takes me and, and being very sort of 
you know, a little bit flippant with how I look at things, <laughs> you know. And so, yeah, I look, most of it's on my channel, so people can suss that out. But it's I've, I've done my best to um, explain it the best I can and, you know, explain it the way I see it. Um, so it's just, it's one of those things that I hope other people will um, take and, um, you know, see if it makes sense to them and then hopefully it builds on itself. Um, you know, I've been doing it for quite a number of years now. And, uh, you know, at the start I thought, oh, well, this is going to, uh, this is going to take off. This is going to be like, a, you know, the, the viral model. <laughs> Little did I know it sort of didn't really uh, go any for, anywhere for a while. So, and, um, yeah, I just think it's it's something it's it's a good basis for research and it starts to integrate things. And I just found with it, it really like I'm talking about with the energy healing and um, the battery and uh, multiple different other sort of areas that it starts to move into. When you look at electrochemistry, is you, you can't sort of unsee it in a sense because it's it really is everywhere. And um, so I just think that's a good um, place for people to uh, get a grasp of just the operation of the battery and then see how it applies to multiple fields. And I, I sort of look at it like um, it, it's something in your toolkit that you can take to um, multiple uh, different areas of study and it will give you something in each of those areas. So that, that yeah. makes sense. That's uh, the ring of truth, in my opinion, when it consistency is the harm, hallmark of truth, as our friend Gabriel likes to say. And I think he's quoting Ross Ben, but that is the ring of truth. When you apply the self similarity across scales that is true to all forms of nature and dimensions of nature, then it, it, <laughs> all of a sudden the world becomes way less disjointed and confusing and you don't need to be a specialist in one area to understand another area, because if you're following the actual what is, then there will be a particular model. And that's why we have things like the Zodiac and it may not be perfect. And there may be a lot of mythology to it and definitely a lot of misunderstandings, but I think that's a good next direction to go because that's more current to what you've been interested in lately. And so one question that I get all the time and I don't have a good answer for, and I was hoping you could help us with this answer is what do you make of sidereal versus tropical astrology? Or they may say Vedic or Jyotish, but different yeah. systems of astrology. And I know that you've kind of cracked into this lately with some great new insights and possible ways for us to syncretize and have have our cake and eat it too. Is that it? <clears throat> Yeah, basically, it's like I kept having trouble with um, both these systems. I'm like, you can't throw out one system or another because they're, they're, there's a whole sort of history to them. You know what I mean? I can't just go, well, you know, it doesn't start in Aries or it, it starts in, you know, Pisces or whatever it is, you know, where, where you start the the uh, the year. And so... Um, and then basically I've been having a go at um, procession, as you know, uh, the procession of the equinox and saying, well, you know, is this actually valid? Uh, is there another a way of approaching it? And what it really comes down to, and I, I'm trying to uncomplicate things 
and and that's what our world seems to be. It seems to overcomplicate things, uh, separate things up into little pieces, divide them up so you can't understand um, one segment from another. And it's like, and th- and that's what the 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 sort of battery and all that sort of start to show you is that no, they're all just the same sort of thing. So let's let's take the calendar, let's take the stars and everything, and back to rudimentary. Um, what would you do? You know in a sense and it's like well if you're a farmer you need to know uh where you are in the season what to plant um you know the weather those sort of things cycles um and you also need to have a system of when to check you have to have a it has to be time based that you go and check um when you would when the season is because if you're looking at the sky at say one time you're looking at midnight and then the other other night you're looking at eight o'clock in the evening and then the other night you sort of got up really early and you're up at you know 2 a.m or something like that well you're going to see something completely different so you need to basically standardize the way you go and view the stars first and foremost so basically it's get up at the same time every morning early morning or look at it in the evening or whatever but you have to do it at the same time to get an accurate reading and so basically taking that idea i said well okay let's let's get up um at you know early in the morning if you were looking at the stars say um, a farmer and you're getting up before daybreak to go do your work and so it's an hour before sunrise roughly that you would go and look at the stars and you would look at the um the sign that was rising before the sun so that gives you an indication of where the sun is in its sign but it also gives you what heralds the sun in a sense or you could do it in the evening where you would go um just after sunrise you you look out and you see what stars are actually following the sun because you're not going to see the star sign that's behind the sun. So this is just a very rudimentary sort of uh, concept of how you would read it over a period of time. And so I took this concept and started to look. I just went into Stellarium and looked and I said, okay, well, let's let's have a look an hour before uh, sunrise on the equinox and see what rises or heralds the sun, What's what sign. And so Aquarius basically rises before the sun. And then I looked in the evening and then there will be um, Aries follows the sun. It's like, you know, like a a sheep following the shepherd. (laughs) So that then gave me, okay, I've got sort of three, I've got details on both sides of the sun in a sense. I've got the, the one that is before the sun and the one that's after the sun. And that sort of in between those two signs is where the sun is. So when you look at the the morning one, Aquarius is at the equinox. And so this relates to that really old um, sort of biblical or even older than that, which is um, you have the the solstices and equinoxes, which was related to uh, the man, uh, the bull, lion and the eagle. Then if you look in the evening, well, that's your tropical zodiac because that's your Aries, um, uh, what the other one, Virgo, Cancer, and, and so on and so forth. But the sun is actually in, you know, Pis- 
Pisces and then um, those sort of things. So am I making that clear? Yeah, yeah. And um, so maybe we can recap this a little bit. Basically, if you were looking consistently at a certain time, you would get a different story of the sun and thus maybe a different type of astrology, sidereal or tropical, for example. And there could be as many different signs for a season as different ways of interpreting the sky that you see. I mean, you could potentially have a system where on this vernal equinox, you're actually looking at what's on the other side of the sky from where the sun's going down and consider the Libra or something. But it's basically about the consistency and knowing that there's a very strong possibility, and this is a different subject, that part of why these systems are all confused is because they've inserted the they being the priest class and the academic class an additional layer, additional piece to the confusion, which is procession. And if procession oh. isn't a thing, then you can really, now you really have to start to think, well, what is the difference between sidereal and tropical? It is a certain number of degrees and it's maybe always that number of degrees. And maybe if this is all accurate, then you're onto something. So maybe we could expand on, on how these two ideas fit together, the <laughs> questioning procession and syncretizing the different zodiac systems. Well, when I looked at procession, and this was really looking at my model and, and saying, um, okay, the sun's electromagnetic, um, it's moving, but the stars, in a sense, they, they don't deviate from each other. So they're fixed to each other. So Orion's belt will always have that sort of, um, those three stars and they're not going to s suddenly move apart or come together or, or do anything, um, anything funny. Basically it's a little bit like, um, having a, a painting on the wall. <laughs> they're not going to move, but you can move that painting around or turn it around and it's going to give you, um, this rotation of the stars, but the, the, the picture itself isn't going to suddenly, um, move apart or, you know, change its actual, um, change the picture on the, on the, on the thing. So I see it as, as the same that we're in, um, an environment where the stars are actually fixed and there's a perception thing going on where we're just viewing this, um, this rotation rather than, um, you know, the dome moving or something like that, which didn't make sense in my model in a sense. So from that, it's then okay. So if it's a perception thing, or what's creating that um, movement of the stars, and what and what I, uh, you know, I had an ass assumption or a, a hypothesis that it was actually the electromagnetics of the system itself that is creating the perception, the the perception of the star rotation. And so, once I sort of saw thought that, and I thought that there was a a, a locked um, mechanism between the sun and the stars, then I said, well, procession can't happen because if it's created by this electromagnetic environment, then, then they're sort of, uh, they're locked to each other, especially locked to the sun. And so that's where my, um, sort of initial sort of hypothesis came from. And then, um, the other ones was like, when you look at how they actually tell you about procession, um, 
it seemed very globy to me. You know, it seemed very part of their model. It seemed um, there was other things like uh, the movement of Polaris and, um, you know, this Polaris wasn't always the pole star and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, nah, that that can clearly be debunked um, by just, you know, names and those sort of things. I think um, Zach, Good Times for all, for all, did a nice little video on that. So a lot of things just... The other thing that sort of uh, stuck out with it was that um, precession happens, it's like one degree over 72 years. And it's sort of part of this globe model that it's basically there's measurements and things that you that are um, so big that you can't really calculate it in your mind, you know, like 93 million miles away from the sun and you know, um, those sort of, those measurements all happen to be real synced up with uh, like important Freemasonic numbers and concepts, oddly enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they just, they're just too far out, you know, in a sense to actually, so your brain can't actually, you know, um, think about them in a, in a, in a correct way. You're basically pointing out how physics has been displaced by higher, levels of abstraction in mathematics so that at this point it's not unlike how physicists today will say like okay we have this information that we're giving to you as gospel based on information we fed into a computer simulation the complex abstract mathematical algebraic formulas and calculus that are used to give us so much of what we take as gospel from the NASA overlords, those calculations, those abstractions are themselves no different than a computer simulation with predetermined parameters that themselves are still conjectural. And thus, like everything that comes out of that as evidence is purely thought experiment and more or less farcical. I hope that I explained that well. That's kind of where we're at with like modern math. Perfect. And so that's that's how I saw the um, procession sort of ideas that they were too far out for the common man to um, to calculate. You just need a uh, it's like 72 years to get one degree. I mean, that's a it's a long time for someone to wait. Um, so, yeah, from there, I just sort of I, I, I essentially threw it out and then left me with a big question. It's like, well, that doesn't exist what are they trying to hide with it what's um what's what's with this thing then that's it seems to be a massive it's a it's a big blockage for a lot of information i think and a a different way of looking at what's going on and a way of giving us a, a nice framework to hang upon their false history of our realm too because you've got this age of the bull age of the whatever and yeah, when you look at those ages, you go, holy, wait, wait, wait. These his so-called historical characters and happenings are all euharimisms for the mythology of the, the Zodiac. And the only reason it rings true at all is because we've heard this story before. We just can't recognize the symbolism in whatever clothing they put it in. So it's like, you're right. It's all supportive of the same globe or the same bail shit, <laughs> the same ball shit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, like, if, if they've added a 1,000 years to our cal- calendar, well, that leaves us with all those procession ideas 
they have to be thrown out anyway. So that's that's the thing. It's like, well, even if I'm um, wrong and there is some sort of procession, well, we still can't claim that history is going to, uh, you know, tell us the truth about, you know, what was the actual placement of the stars back then. So either way, we, we're sort of stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. Yeah, man, I have. Okay, so here's how I want to put it right now at this point. It's like the Tower of Babel is a metaphor for something that never actually stopped happening. And what I mean by that is there's only one nature. There's only one life really expressing itself in an infinite myriad of reflections. And then that, that refracting of the one life force energy into the infinite possibilities and reflections is itself mirrored in the fact that our language that represents and communicates what we perceive in nature continues to fragment itself into more and more languages, more and more symbolic concepts, more and more information, splitting and mitosising and getting wider. And in the IT world, they call it data sprawl. And I was just looking at today, this research that demonstrated how our human beings' attention spans have gone down at the same constant rate year after year for as long as it's been measured. And there's a, a direct relationship to that plummeting of attention span to the amount of information that is in, introduced to the system that humans share and co-create. So as daily, the amount of information coming at us is continuing to go up and up, our attention span fragments further and further and further. And I think this process is very much at hand with the idea of procession just as a microcosm, because as soon as you throw that idea into the mix, now everything becomes 10,000 times more complicated to calculate and figure out and verify. And the further we get into that level of complexity and abstraction away from the simple truth of nature, the less centered we are, the less still we are, the less rooted we are, the less grounded we are, and the more easily, um, you know, our attention is co-opted if it's been divided as well. It's harder to notice where it's going. So that was kind of a big rant, but I see all these problems in the world as very connected and a syncretized approach is a good way to get back to life within the limitations of what we can actually literally perceive and process with a normal human being attention span and mental capacity which is perfectly fine and healthy. We, we can accept that. It's quite a lot, actually. We have, we have plenty of it if we use it wisely. Yeah, oh, 100%. Like, it's, it's one of those things that it is so, such a big blockage. And now I think if, if people uh, started to think in terms of undoing that division that's been caused and start looking at the, the concepts of... Uh, Take the, take the procession out of it, then all of a sudden you're going to start to see that there's an integration that will happen between all these things. And I think, um, you know, I'm trying to get there and I hope other people sort of um, take some of these concepts and, and work alongside us and, and um, yeah, bring back this, like you said, if we, we don't want fragmented information, that's what the internet is. It's just information on piles of information. But we're... That's why I sort of research in the way I do. I look for correlations between information and sort of, in a sense, I have a very uh, 
short attention span when it comes to research in a sense like because I'm flipping between multiple things at once and I think that's an important aspect to um, how we should treat the information um, on the internet and things like that as well you know also very handy to have you know read a good book and spend a lot of time working through it but it's also uh, very important to find correlations and, and integrations between all the information that you're seeing so we'll, we'll get into some of the um the planetary cycles because I, I just think this is so fascinating what what actually comes out of it when you're looking for the connectedness of things um i'll bring this up and you can show it but one of the the things that sort of um comes out of this and, and looking at um, the world cycles in a different way, um, you notice that they have these sort of little tricks going on and I haven't quite totally figured it out, but um, there is, you look at the, the sidereal Can we day. We read this whole they, slide basically from front to back for, for everybody. Yeah. Okay. So one sidereal day is 23 hours, 56 minutes, which equals, um, 1,436 minutes. One solar day equals 24 hours and equals 1,440 minutes. So 1,436 minutes equals 0.997222 days. So if you times 365.25, which is uh, the year that they give us, by 0 0.99722, which is the sidereal day, uh, it equals 364.23 days. The sidereal year compared to the solar year has a discrepancy of approximately one day. If this is accurate, then we would see a sidereal precession of approximately one degree per year. One solar day equaling approximately one degree. Since this precessional movement of one year does not occur, then the solar year and the sidereal year are of the same value. So let's put this in a framework that's... Um, it's probably easier for you to understand. Say you and me are running a race around an oval and you're going to run faster than me. But at the end of the end of the, when we get back to the start, we're going to end up at the same time, <laughs> cross the line at the exact same time. So it's essentially you're the solar day and I'm the processional day and we're going to end up at a different spot. And it's just like, it doesn't make sense because at the at the end of a full year, the sun ends back up, ends back at uh, Pisces, so it's ending up at the exact same position as the, as it started. Yeah, there's a there's a backwards movement, but in in actual fact, you're ending up at the exact same position, and you're saying what they're telling us is that they're going two different speeds. But it's, it's, it doesn't seem possible to me unless I'm completely thinking about this the wrong way. But um, do you see what I mean? Yeah, so that's not that complicated of math to make to go back to our point. <laughs> it's you're just give you're just going with like logic, applying logic to 
what they're calling a sidereal day versus solar day. And what you're coming up with is that we have an incorrect amount of days in a year. Is that right? At least in our current yeah, calendar but- system. And how, how would that play out in terms of further confusing us about when and where we are with the sky clock? Well, what it means, if if that's correct, and we're not using the correct time for the year, then there's like, um, it means that we're not basing things, uh, sort of everything else correctly. We haven't got the top right speed for things in a sense. So everything's based off the sun, but we're supposed to be doing it off the, the stars. And, um, and that's what I was, I've been basically working on is, okay, so, uh, what are these what are these synodic uh speeds that they give us the synodic times for planets and things like that and that gives us synodic um, meaning how long it takes the planet to return to where it started yep from what you call like a a jupiterian year or a mercury uh, no no, Uh, so so it's a that's a sidereal would be like same um jupiter takes 12 years to get back to the same position Okay. Um, the synodic is the, um, say, Jupiter is one in one spot. The time it takes for, and it's behind, and it's behind one star, so you can line it up with a certain star, and then you're looking for that time that it takes to get back to that same star. So they're they're actually different calculations, and actually the sidereal times for a lot of these outer planets, and. Um, those sort of things are actually based off um, synodic times. So th- there's like a, a bit of math that they do and say, yep, yep, plus one, <laughs> divide this, and all of a sudden you've got, uh, you know, 29 years for Saturn. So if they're out by their synodic time, then their, their length of sidereal time is is incorrect as well. So, so you can't even calculate the sidereal time without the synodic and uh, well, it's a little bit. Mercury one is eighty-eight days, right? Well, you could do yeah. You could probably do um, the shorter time frames. Uh, no worries, but like something like waiting twenty-nine years for you know. Um, That's way harder. Yeah. To get, yeah. Or twelve years, even you know, it's it's a long time. So you're just using a, a calculation to, and that's if the the calculations are um, exactly on because if if they're using solar days or if they're using this sidereal, then they're going to have two different outcomes. So this is some of the stuff that I'm trying to deal with and wrap my head around. And a lot of when you're dealing with sort of what they've done, it's, it's, it's quite tricky. Um, and, and you've got to sort of keep uh, basically uh, making sure that you haven't made a mistake in a sense and trying to think about it in, in their terms is, is even harder. It's like trying to conceive of the, the globe model and, and things like that. You just can't do it because it doesn't make uh, logical sense. But, and so at the end of the day, you have to try and simplify and find where these, uh, where these little tricks are, these little problems. So I can bring up something else that that's just interesting when you start looking at the um you can see that there. So what I what I did Yeah, we looked at this a little uh, bit on the vibrant the other day, and I'm glad that we're getting back into this because this is just some mind-blowing math right here. 
Yeah, it's um, it, it's actually a lot. It's a lot simpler than um, what you would think because all I've done here is is said there's a sidereal um, movement of the moon, and so like I explained before, that was um, it, it's basically twenty. 28 days, uh, 27 days to get back to the exact same spot. Okay. And so when you do these um, calculations using the 27 of that, of those 27 days, and then um, you times it by some of these uh, frequencies or um, numbers that are based on all on 27, then you start to get the the synodic outcomes for the the moon, Mercury, Sun, Venus, and and the whole lot. And so that's basically all I've done here. It would be actually twenty seven days times point one zero eight, and I've just made it easier to, and clearer to see by just moving the decimal. But if you do one hundred and eight times zero point two seven, you get the twenty nine point one six lunar days so that would be like um full moon to full moon very close to it and then where do you do derive the 108 originally from like for the moon here because it's basically what is it a four weeks thing um so the the 108 it's it's, yeah it's like swap the decimal over so it's easier to see these bigger numbers here so it's you can see where they um fit into other sort of esoteric and those sort of things okay so this um, number is just coming from what it would take using 27 to get us to the synodic or synodic number yeah and so i got you you didn't start so you, you reverse calculated this basically yeah, I did. I basically said uh, what I saw was there was this frequency. I saw the 432 turn up in the synodic um, of Mercury. And then I started to derive. Uh, firstly, I thought it was 108. And then I said, oh, no, it's 27. And so that led me to this 27 of multiples. But um, so if you would go 4.32 times 27, you would get the um, synodic days of Mercury and so on and so forth. But all I've done is just change the decimal so it's um, you can see these numbers clearer. It's really interesting that the sun gets 50 as, the, as this sort of base number that leads you to the uh, 1,350 times 0.27 to get 364.5 synodic days. Just because 50... When you get into some of the mythology out there for things like ancient Sumeria, that seems to be a major template or even Sumer- like Sumeria itself. I'm, I'm of the persuasion that even things like ancient Sumer are describing sky clock metaphor. And it was not even real history to begin with. And like ancient Sumer <laughs> is late summer. <laughs> and there's a lot of reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of reason to believe that. But they they uh, at least what we get from academics about the gods uh i can't remember if it's enlil or inky but the one that was like the chief god was always assigned the numerical value 50 and it's the same one that it's the lord basically it's Baal. it's the sun god it's the cult of helios over and over again so they were uh, in the ancient in the so-called ancient sumerian they were assigning their 
their version of Baal or the sun god deity, the chief deity with the number 50. And now we see that that ties into this synodic information. So when you look at mythology with a scrutinizing eye, you pretty much are always going to see sky clock encoding and math at the the root of it. And 27 is such an important number. Maybe we can um, get into more reasons why 27 is such a cool jam to think about in the second hour. And we've got a few minutes left in the first hour. So maybe we could wrap up kind of talking about this chart and any other ideas you want to fit into the free part of the conversation, not to rush us off of the, this part of the talk, but we are getting to that point. It snuck up on me here. <laughs> it's been really good. So well, far. you know, people can, uh, you know, screenshot it and have a look at it themselves, but basically they can go through and, and there's, there is uh, a slight discrepancy, but what you do see as a general sort of summary is that um, all these synodic times can be uh, are a division of this 27 and and then there's some interesting correlations that i've highlighted in red between uh the overall sort of um yeah overall sort of um, medium of the the whole lot which saturn seems to tell us about this is 364 seven day and day calendar which is it's just really interesting as saturn is the the lord of time so people can screenshot this and um enjoy this there's probably a lot more to be learned from this uh there's one thing i don't fully get and that is the difference between like mars jupiter and saturn in the synodic days maybe i need to fully comprehend what synodic is really talking about but we see a larger number in that column for mars than for the seemingly slower moving planets like Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, can you help me understand that? So, so basically it's that star rotation is sort of going um, faster or there, you know, if, if Mars is doing us a say, retrograde type action, then it's, it's sort of um, catching up to the stars again. Do you know what I mean? Because it's all based on that star rotation. Um, that's why you will see Saturn, which is a extremely long sidereal, but it's actually a quite a short um, um, synodic time is because... Okay, because it's where it's, it is relative to a certain star, and that's how you track that number. Yeah, and, and because Saturn's barely moving in a sense, it's, it's taking so long in its orbit that the stars are just catching up to it again. That no, that sense? totally makes sense. I'm glad that we clarified that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why they're a little different. In, so we know if, the if difference they're hooning along. Yeah. If the, if the planet's hooning along, well, the, the stars are sort of taking a longer time to actually catch up to it. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that chart bears a lot of value the more you study it. And also got to say thanks for coming up with the graphic to do Gabriel's diction of Aries, <laughs> Aries uh, cipher. That was a really cool cipher. And if people didn't check out the vibrant episode with me and Lucas and Gabriel and Mario from Symbolic Studies, who was the previous Interverse episode to this one, definitely check it out. It's been quite an excellent month for these types of symbolic studies. Anything that you want to wrap up in the first hour that we may have got into that left left you with something else you wanted to say before we 
make our way to the second part? No, that's it. We'll um we'll we'll see him over the other side and we'll get into some more interesting sort of material, I think. Yeah. I think so. And just a taste of what I want to talk about. We want to talk about 27. I want to ask some yep. basic questions like, what do you think the moon is? <laughs> what do you think the firmament okay. <laughs> is? What do you think the stars are? Because those are the the basic questions are always the most profound once you start to see the world with new eyes from the story we're told. Now, before we do move over. Let people know where they can find you, how they can get in touch with you, how you'd like to communicate or connect with them and anything you got going on you want them to know about. Also, your music. Can we say that, too? You just released a new song. All of that stuff. Yeah. I did, all uh, that. Okay. Um, yeah. So I just released a new song with Pat from Pat Life Podcast. And um, yeah, no, we're enjoying it. Hopefully, we're going to do a little bit more music, maybe release an EP down the track. Um, yeah, it's just something I enjoy doing. And yeah, you can find me at LC King at YouTube. And also if you want to come and sort of interact and talk to me, I've got a chat set up, which um, Chance will put in the, the link, I suppose. And um, yeah, it's a really good way to communicate. You've got some really nice people there. So um, I'm always trying to, yeah, just keep, you know, as I find information, I post it on and yeah, get feedback. So it's really good. Cool, man. And everybody stick around to the very end of the show and I'll play the new track from Lucas and Pat. We'll all get to enjoy that. And okay, I'll see you on the other side. Thanks everyone for listening. And if you aren't a Rockfin or Patreon member, maybe think about doing it. Uh, Lucas has got a Rockfin too, so. Oh yeah, All the best people are over there. out there hope you're having the best day or night ever whenever this happens to find you i really enjoyed the conversation with lc you know i guess i should call him lucas that's his actual name i don't think he probably goes by lc (laughs) but man that guy's got some serious gravy to ladle i learned so much from people like him really taking the new cosmology question into very interesting and far-reaching places not just basing everything that they think or say off of old ancient texts or what other people have written or said about these things in the past or recently, he's like taking it to a new level, you know, innovating, finding the connections for himself, especially with the numbers. And I happen to know he goes and does actual like astrological measurements himself to confirm or verify or disprove and discredit different aspects of the story that we're all telling each other about what's going on with the sky clock. So 
Big shout out to Lucas. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely intend to have him back sooner than later because he's always, always on the cutting edge with something new to say. And I really did enjoy going into some of the topics that we did in the first hour, like the energy healing and kinesiology and muscle testing. I think he's got probably a lot more interesting stuff in his noggin about those topics because he clearly got into it on, on that. So yeah, I think a lot of us come to the path that we're on now questioning everything by first trying to figure out how to be healthy and how to avoid the butchers at the hospital. So he's doing great work and I'm sure he's got expertise in a little bit of everything considering he's this pretty amazing gentleman, farmer, father, researcher, scientist, basically an electrician, musician. He's got it all going on. So really, really blessed and grateful to be able to connect with guys like Lucas. And it follows on perfectly from last week's episode with Mario. So if you didn't catch that, Mario from Symbolic Studies or the Vibrant episode from a few weeks back, episode 26 with Lucas, Mario, and of course, Gabriel, Slick Dissident, there's some serious fire going on there. Yeah, so I got to remind you guys about the Plus Extension in case you're new around here. We do a second hour for subscribers only, and you can find that on Patreon or Rockfin. It's five bucks a month on Patreon. You get my whole archive. You get a custom RSS feed, and, you know, that's it. The works, five bucks. I'm barely asking for anything. How much is that a day? You know, like a few cents. Definitely worth it to get the extra extra goodness in the second hour of the conversations. Rockfin's $10 a month and you get everything on the network that's premium. So not just my stuff, but everybody there. Really easy decision to make to go for one of those things, in my opinion. And it's the best way to support the podcast, which is just me. When I say the podcast, I mean me because I do it all by myself. Apart from, you know, what the guests bring to the table, which is a lot, admittedly, very much so. So in this plus extension, we talked about Mercury, Jesus, and the magic of the number 27, taking a natural pace when creating your own reality. Really good stuff there. What are the stars in the enclosed growing earth system? That's a tough question. Since we're talking about a new cosmology and a new framework for understanding the realm we're in, well, we also have to reconsider what stars even are. Maybe not giant balls of flaming gas in the sky. Maybe, maybe not. We talked about the frozen atmosphere uh, that could possibly be what the firmament is and the super cold superconductor firmament dome. He's got a lot of interesting things to say about the electrical aspect of frozen atmosphere and the enclosed system that we call the firmament. We discussed the role of the planetary luminaries within the universal battery, why the septenary is important, the system of seven as opposed to nine, nine chakras or nine luminaries. No, we got seven base chakras, seven luminaries. I can expand my ideas of the chakras beyond seven, but at that point they extend outside of the body. So they're not as personal and physical to our individual selves. They're more shared chakras, but that's, uh, that's in there. And we also talked about the North star, which is a great part to follow on from what we discussed with Mario last week, the North star as the center of uh, the creation instead of the heliocentric hex that basically everybody in the world has fallen under that spell. And it's so pervasive. It's in everything. 
which, you know, if you listen to me, you've heard me talk about that a lot. Definitely can hear more about it in the audiobook I narrated, July's End, which is by Dylan Sicoccio. That'll be linked in the show notes, as well as every other way to support the show, the links to Patreon and Rockfin, to my merch store, to everything. Clive DeCarl, really great place to go shop for supplements that will help you get your electricity right in your body. And yeah, I'm feeling pretty excited about the direction the podcast has gone so far this year. I think the winter doldrums are about to wrap up. I did a pretty good job not getting down in the winter, which is hard to do with less vitamin D available. And I'm happy about that. But it seems like we're getting one last massive batch of cold, freezing, sleety BS. I know that we ought to have, we got to have cycles. You got to have, got to have the down to have the up. You got to get up to get down that whole chestnut. <laughs> so I'm cool with it, but Really excited for the onset of spring. There's so much already on the agenda that's super, super fantastic, including the opportunity to meet some actual real life people that I'm connected with through the show. I think that's the most important thing we should be doing right now is finding a way to actually get together and make the magic in the real and not just on the screens. Because the screens have given us a lot of benefit being able to share information and connect with each other as we have. But what could we build? In real life, that's the million dollar, trillion dollar question. I say trillion because maybe a million is not going to be worth that much soon <laughs> with the way the economy is going. Yeah, I'd also love to connect with more of you for sound healing sessions, Oracle card sessions. Actually, on that note, I did, a, I finally came back to the doing group Oracle card sessions on live streams. I took some time off, didn't do any in January. And most of February, I didn't, but probably going forward, you'll see one of those a week from me where we can all get together sometime in the middle of the day, early in the week and look at some cards and enjoy the resonance and that amazing magic of the living stream where we get our Oracle on see what the I Ching and the tarot and, and the animals have to say about what's going on in the collective ether space. And the one I just did was on 222. So that was pretty mystical and magical. I also unveiled some new wands that I made just for that day. So they were born on and have the astrological chart and aspects of the 2-22-2022 on a Tuesday. So that was really fun. If you didn't catch that, I recommend going back and watching it. Generally, I recommend watching this show as video if you ever can. Now, Interverse isn't typically video heavy. But with this one, with LC, if you just listened on the RSS feed, it might be worth going back and rewatching it so you can see his screen shares because he did share some imagery related to his research. And it does help to have the visual aid. If we want to take the information game to the next level, it helps a lot to be able to just show and not only tell. But I'm confident that you out there listening to just the audio only version still understood what we're getting into, generally speaking. It was probably dense enough to listen to twice. I like to think a lot of the shows are, especially the one with Mario. That dude brought a lot of good stuff to the table and got a lot of good stuff out of me. So we'll probably see both Lucas and Mario come on again somewhere, Vibrant or Interverse again soon. And by the time you're hearing this, there will be a new Vibrant episode for the week. I'm recording this on Wednesday. Don't miss out on those. Go hit the notification bell on YouTube or just make sure that you're 
ready and waiting at 8 p.m. Central on Wednesday nights when we go live and then follow the vibrant with Flow State on Weaving Spiders Welcome. And yeah, Weaving Spiders Welcome has been legit lately. The last episode was 67 and uh, discovered all kinds of amazing information in that one, including a strange pattern relating to adversarial barbarian groups that were antagonistic or reportedly antagonistic to various empires and ruling classes throughout history that had um, that these antagonistic tribes have something to do with cats, cat symbolism, cat etymology, all that stuff. Discovered a new couple of interesting barbarian gods like the Thracian god Zalmoxis. It's a long weave, and we took a little bit of time to get warmed up. By the time we were a few hours in, though, it was popping off. The main crew was on there. Weaving Spiders Welcome on YouTube. The best synchro mysticism. Money can't buy because it's free. <laughs> You're welcome. I know I go in there just to learn. And I do. I kind of do research on the fly during those episodes. If you're not watching Weaving Spiders, you're missing out, especially if you like, you know, me and what I'm into. Because I don't have to play host. I can just like dig in on the fascinating stuff and see what comes up. So I'm going to. Oh, yeah. Reminder. One more reminder. Let's work together. Sound healing sessions. Really powerful modality. Gets more amazing every time, seemingly. And also Oracle cards. Throw some cards together. Get the guidance from and the insight from your higher self. Resonate with that voice, still small voice within. It's really, really effective. Great for a perspective shift right when you need it. You can email me at chance at innerversepodcast.com or check out my website under the sound healing or oracle card pages, also linked in the show notes here. If you want more information, totally worth it. I hope to uh, see more of you do that. Been having. A few clients every week, and I'm grateful for the chance to resonate with you guys like that in a one-on-one -on -one and get to know people better. It's really fun. And I'm going to play us out of this episode. I always love it when the guest has original music. And this song is called North Star, appropriate. The newest release from L.C. King and collab with Pat Life of Pat Life Podcast. I guess his name isn't Pat Life. His name's Patrick. <laughs> super, super dope song. Stick around for the end and listen to that. And I'll catch you guys on the flip. Can't wait for the next one. Thanks for tuning in and going on the journey with me. I love you all. And we will talk soon.
Imagine this life